Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 20. I just used first aid as a base and not just first aid, but just added and compiled all the information in the beginning only to shed down information towards the end of my exam. So on my third read, I was taking out all those sticky notes, which were already there that I had got it inside my head. So from double its volume, I kind of bring it back to what it was previously. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on Step 1 and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered Step 1 concepts using physio.com. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Rashri, an international medical graduate, or IMG, from Nepal. And to help me with this interview, I'm here with my co-host, Rhett Thompson. How's it going? It's going so good. What's been the latest with you? Well, I was unfortunately not able to be here for this episode when you recorded it, because I was helping my wife with some photography. She is obsessed with photography, and sometimes need to go help her with our little girl, Margot, who is three months old, and absolutely refuses to take a bottle. So I have to go on these little trips with her occasionally and just kind of help her and then hand Margo over to Reagan when she gets hungry and ornery. So that's where I was. It wasn't that fun, but yeah. Well, that's cool, though. I think yeah, and I think it's smart of Reagan to really take advantage of this time where you're a little bit more free and not tied up in clinic, fourth-year residency and stuff like that. She's like, you know, I'm supporting you through this ridiculous physio venture of yours. You're going to come help me do this <laughs> photography and handle this newborn. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. So today's guest is Rashri Singh. She attended the Nepalese Army Institute of Health Sciences, College of Medicine. And she grew up originally in a village that's about 300 kilometers from the capital of Nepal, which is Kathmandu. And she's awesome. So I hadn't met her before the interview, but... She and I were trying to get the technical things taken care of, like the internet connection and make it so that we could actually record this podcast episode. And just even then, I was able to get to know her and see what an awesome personality she has. Because as we were having these technical issues, I'm not somebody who can solve really technical computer internet problems. So if something goes wrong with the podcast, I'm like, uh, I don't know, let's uh, maybe let's reschedule and hope the internet works the next time or something like that. But what's really cool about Rashri is she is a problem solver and just has a smile the whole time. Like as we were like spending like 30 minutes, which by the way is 30 minutes of her time at night because she's on the opposite side of the world. She was just coming up with her own solutions, which ended up working. So without me even knowing or even suggesting it, she just called up her internet service provider out in Nepal and upgraded her bandwidth like while we were trying to work through all these problems and it totally solved everything and we were able to record. So anyways, this guest is clearly somebody that you want on your team anywhere where you're going to work in the hospital setting. She is a doctor and she's just really impressive. And so I just want to let you hear what she has to say. Let's bring her on. So yeah, tell me a little bit about what got you interested in medicine and just kind of your situation in Nepal. because. Most of our listeners, they've never heard from somebody that's been in Nepal and graduated from medical school there. And so we just want to get a background there. So why don't you tell us about what got you interested in medicine? My dad, he's a pathologist in a Nepali army. 
And I grew up with him. You know, there used to be car trips when I was a kid and there used to be jars of biopsy beside us in the car. So yeah, I grew up around a lot of pathology. (laughs) So yeah, my dad got me into it. And he used to take us to these screening camps where they did the cervical pap smear. Back in the days, we didn't have computers to type. So we used to write the reports with our own hands. So he used to dictate us and we used to write the report and then he used to sign it down later. So I was exposed to clinical practice and pathology since my childhood. And then I just grew up watching him do what he does so amazingly. And that kind of inspired me to be like him and follow his footsteps. That's awesome. That sounds super interesting. (laughs) Like having actual specimens next to you growing up. Yeah, there was a funny story once the formalin kind of spilled on the car. And then I sensed it and my dad did, but we just kept it a secret from my mom. She never found out. Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I have to share this podcast with my mom. She's going to find out. Oh, yeah. The truth will be out. (laughs) Yes, the truth will be out through video. (laughs) That's right. Yes, your dad can blame us if he gets in trouble. (laughs) So you've graduated from medical school. Yes, I graduated last spring. You plan to match in 2021? Yes, I do. I plan to match in 2021. Awesome. So with your dad being a pathologist, has that influenced what kind of field you want to go into? Do you want to go into pathology? Well, my dad wanted to do something clinical, but pathology wasn't his first choice. He always loved interacting with patients. And looking at that, I think with pathology, I would miss out on interacting with patients and listening to their stories and where they come from and meeting new people. So I would like to go into a subject which is more interacting with new people from different backgrounds. So I'd probably go with medicine and then maybe specialize with something with pathology. So I was hoping for maybe hematoncology. So, well, let's see where life takes us. I haven't decided much on that yet. That's cool. And that's a good way to do it because... You can go into internal medicine and then get all of that experience and then decide from there. And then you can go into hematopathology and things like that. Yes, there are endless options. Yeah, that's one of the good things about internal medicine. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why so many people go into internal medicine is with the intention of subspecializing after that and being able to kind of decide along the way. Yes, you kind of get three more years to decide what you want to do. So that's a bonus. (laughs) Yeah. So. Can you give us an idea of what medical school is like in Nepal? Like, what was your experience like? Medical school in Nepal is really different from medical school in the U.S. So I would like to kind of give a background on what subjects are studied when. So we do our high school, and that is called 11 and 12 in here. So we do our high school, and then we give an entrance examination, and annually around... 10 to 15,000 students apply for medical schools all over Nepal. And then some seven to 8,000 get in. Some of them go out of Nepal to study. And then that's how we get into a med school, through an entrance examination. And after that, the first two years are our basic sciences. That is something that you would study in U.S. medical school as your pre-med, probably. So... That's when we do our anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, microbiology, pathology, community medicine, pharmacology. 
So we do two years of that. And then that's our first and the second year. And after that, we have third and the fourth year and six months extra. So third and the fourth year is for clinical sciences. So in clinical sciences, we have our regular internal medicine, surgery, pets, gynae, and forensics. So we study forensic medicine as well and all the other ortho, ENTI. So that's how it is. And then we have additional one year of clinical internship, which is mandatory that we do it at all the departments, clinical departments. And after that, we are graduated as bachelor's in medicine and bachelor's in surgery. So that's MBBS. That's five and a half years. That's basically the same in India as well. So it sounds like in many ways it's organized similar to United States med schools where you've got the first two years are really preclinical and didactic work. And then you've got third and fourth year of rotations. And then you have an additional year of internship, like you're already doing an internship in all those clinical areas again. So a total of five and a half years and you've completed all of that and you're graduated and now you've got plans to apply for the match of 2021. Yes, absolutely. So now let's dive into your actual study in medical school and what that was like. Like when you first started, what were you experiencing and help us see what you went through? First year was a complete shock because I hadn't studied anything with human anatomy on it. In 11 and 12, I was studying dissecting frogs and earthworms and rabbits. <laughs> and in first year, I got introduced to human body. And I still remember the day when I went to my first anatomy practical where there was a cadaver on the table and there was smell of formalin everywhere. And then, wow. It was really like a reality check for me, like, okay, now this is med school. So yeah, the first year was more of getting hang on to a new lifestyle, a new definition of me and to what I'm planning to become. And then with second year, I kind of got used to it. And yes, so studying medical books and then talking about medicine and eating, sleeping, everything related to medicine just became a part of me. And that's a cool visual reminder that you're in a whole new world. You see this cadaver and you're like, well, this is different than what I've experienced before. This is a new world for me. I'm moving on to become a doctor. So tell me a little bit about the specific study routines and how you would balance your personal study habits and then going to class and just what that looked like. There was a mandatory hostel for us. Uh, we used to live in rooms and I had a roommate. And we used to share rooms together. And then it was all mandatory. Our college made us stay in hostels mandatory. And I think that was a big bonus because then that helped me develop a routine. And uh, I used to utilize library maximum because there were really expensive books like Harrison and all those big books that I really wanted to read, but I couldn't afford. So Yes, the library access till 11 p.m. at night was a big bonus to me. I'm a night person, so usually for me, it was like waking up 30 minutes before the class and then just putting on and just having a breakfast and running to class. And then class was just like five minutes away. So it was class and then clinicals. We used to go to hospitals and then come back. And then I used to get like freshen up and play games 
then hang around with friends. And well, I play bass. So sometimes there was some jam sessions. And after that, well, from seven to 11, I used to study four hours every day. But mostly I only used to study dedicated when there was like a month before exams. And usually on the other days, I really focused on taking maximum notes and learning the most in the lectures itself. So I used to prepare my notes from the lectures right then and there in the class. And then I used to annotate on those handwritten notes later on. So that kind of helped me balance my social life because I used to be associated with a lot of things like public speaking and then leadership and then base and then other sports. So that helped me balance my social life. That's awesome. It sounds like you really did have to sleep and eat and breathe medical school. If they tell you, you need to come and you know live here basically at the medical school. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, we used to eat, sleep, breathe medicine, but not on weekend. I used to go home on weekends, but in Nepal, weekend is on Saturday and Sunday is a work day in Nepal. Oh, interesting. So you have a six-day work week, essentially. Yes, we have a six-day work week. Okay. And would you have school all six days? Well, on Friday, there used to be half day sometimes, but it's still a six-day work week. Okay. Now, I know that a lot of international medical graduates don't need to take step one if they're going to practice in their native country. Are you intending to stay in Nepal or are you going to come to the United States? For the moment, uh, why I'm opting for step one is that I really want to explore academically and scientifically. I want to see out what's out there. And being in Nepal, well, we read all these amazing international textbooks, exactly what you all read, like Robin and Cotterans, and then Lippincott, Guyton, Davidson, Harrison, name it. We read all the books, but when it comes to practicing, we do what is really very basic and primary because we aren't very technologically advanced. And it's just that my academic hunger that has made me take this USMLE journey. And I really want to explore academically. And after I do my residency and then after I give back to the institution and to the United States, I would eventually want to come back to my own country and serve for the people here because I really want to give it back to my people here in Nepal, but not at the cost of my academic career. So, yeah, I just wanted to balance both of them. Sure. That makes sense. So you're going to come to the United States and continue your education and explore what the medical system here has to offer with the intention of eventually going back and serving everybody in Nepal. Yes. And with the help of this job that I have right now, I have seen a lot of Nepal and how people are even deprived with some of the basic, basic healthcare needs. I just think it's my responsible as one human to another to at least, you know, give them whatever I can. That's really inspiring. So at some point, you needed to decide that you wanted to take step one. Did you take that after you graduated? Or where did your studies fall with step one during your education? It kind of came late for me. And uh, I made up my mind midway through my internship that I need to give this USMLE step one. 
Well, back in my head, there was a possibility when I was in med school because I had interacted with a lot of doctors who are ECFMG certified and who are practicing in the United States. And talking and interacting with them, it was really inspiring. They had a different persona and a different perspective to life. And that kind of really inspired me. But my actual decision came sometime around mid-internship when I was done with the most busiest of my clinical duties. That's when I started exploring materials for step one. Okay, gotcha. So what kind of materials did you use for step one? And how did you approach your studies? Overall, I had six phases of preparation. There were really diverse materials I had from audio lectures to videos to textbooks and question banks. So in my internship, I started with Kaplan series, Pathoma, and First Aid. Okay, awesome. So it sounds really interesting the way that you've broken this up. So you've got six phases, and you started with Pathoma, and then First Aid, and what part of Kaplan? Kaplan books. It's just like whole Kaplan. I studied everything, the books from the Kaplan. Oh, okay. Gotcha. How did you break it down? Did you just start from beginning to end with each resource, like first aid, pathoma, and then in the Kaplan books? Or was there like a systematic way you approached the material? Yes, there was a systematic approach. I used Kaplan for anatomy and physiology, biochemistry and genetics, and then immunology and behavior and farm. But I didn't use it for pathology because I use pathoma for pathology. And every time after I did my anatomy section of Kaplan, then I studied first aid section of anatomy. So that's how I went. So there was anatomy on Kaplan and then anatomy and first aid. And then same with immunology in Kaplan and then immunology in first aid. So first aid kind of helped me summarize what I read from the Kaplan. So it was a good way to understand what was the high yield thing for USMLE step one, because step one was completely different for me from what we considered high yield back in our studies was not considered high yield here. For supposedly, our curriculum never really paid much attention to amyloidosis. And this was like completely new thing for me back in the day. And seeing it here, while well, you have a one whole page dedicated and one whole chapter dedicated on amyloidosis. So it just helped me get hang of the entire curriculum of step one. So it was a good way to start, but I must say it was really lengthy. It took me almost three and a half months to complete, three and a half to four months to complete. So if I just go back now and uh, think if I could opt for another material as an introduction to step one, I could have chosen Bodes and Beyonds and Physio. I usually don't recommend Kaplan to my juniors. So it sounds like you used Kaplan, but then looking back, if you could do it again, you'd probably use something a little bit more efficient. Is that the idea? Yes, because I'm a more of an audiovisual learner. And the fact that I studied with studying textbooks, I think it had a lot of immense information, a lot of information that you just don't need to just know it all. So it would have helped me filter out better if had I started with something more high yield. Yes, like physio videos and bold and beyonds. And yes, I, I agree with you on that one. Well, I appreciate the plug for physio and that you would use physio at this point. So thank you for that. 
You mentioned a three and a half month period. Was that just the first of the six phases of study or was that your entire study for step one or how did that fit into your overall plan? So this was the first phase of my study. So to summarize it for you, there was an on and off of 10 months of preparation for me. So there was three and a half months of my first phase that was during my internship. And then I got into my job as a master trainer and program monitor for neonatal resuscitation and postpartum hemorrhage program. So during my initial phase of work, I wasn't able to study because I was traveling around a lot around Nepal. So my dedicated time was total prep of six months when I was on the job and two weeks of completely dedicated period when I actually took a leave from my job. Oh yeah. And then there was another two weeks of leave when I had a episode of keratitis. Well, if I have to sign it up for you, then it would be six months with 10 months on and off. Okay. With a few interruptions with personal illness, it sounds like, with some eye issues, that sounds scary. Just studying is hard enough and then having a personal issue with your eyes, of all things, sounds super stressful. Yes, it was. But it was something I picked it along my traveling time around as my work as a trainer. But I kind of used it in a very interesting way. So when I was having this episode of keratitis, I shut down my screen and everything. But then I switched on to Golian audio lectures through Spotify. <laughs> so yeah, I really tried hard. That's really innovative. I think that's a wise, just a positive attitude. I just think that's a cool way to approach things. You know, like I need to rest my eyes, obviously. And so I'm just going to use one of my other senses to really just make use of this time. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was on my mind. That's cool. Well, that's a good approach to life. And I actually want to hear what you have to say about those Golgian audio lectures. What were those like? And how did those impact your overall performance on step one? Well, it wasn't a really high impact, but it kind of helped me sustain and not forget the topics that I was studying because three weeks break was like a really long break. And I was like really scared if I start forgetting things. But then these audio lectures kind of helped me stay in track. Well, it did help me answer two or three questions in my real tests. So I wouldn't consider it as a really high impact. But if you are really desperate to study when you're like in your gym or you're in your work, and then you just want to tune in into an audio. So if that's the case, then it's a good approach. But I wouldn't consider it making it an integral part of step one study. That makes sense. So you're saying that really because of the situation you were in, it was beneficial. But reflecting back, you wouldn't say that those audio lectures were just super vital to your overall performance. Yes. Gotcha. Now you touched on something that nearly all medical students and everybody preparing for step one fears. And that's the fear of forgetting stuff that you've learned. Did you have any methods for trying to retain information using flashcards or just scheduled reviews or anything like that? Yes, there was many. Well, I read my first aid six times before I gave my step one. And I introduced new materials with step one every time I did in these six phases. So in my first phase, there was Kaplan Pathoma. In my second phase, there was UWorld with first aid. And in my third phase, I used Anki with my first aid. So, you know, reading first aid from first to last can be really tiresome. And you need something to prompt up so that you look back into your first aid. So I used Anki. I used online available card 
called Zanki. And then I use Zanki and then Zanki Farm. So there was a complete set of 24,000 cards. I started customizing those cards and deleting those cards, which were repetitive and which were low yield to me. And then I kind of condensed and deleted those cards and made it around 7,000 cards. So I used Anki during my third phase of reading. So that, that was something I used for reinforcement. And other than that, I used question banks as well. I took a six-month UWorld online subscription. And then I used 10 days of QMAX in my fifth phase of studying, which is around like 10 or 11 days before my test. So you started using Anki partway through there, and you actually ended up using UWorld and QMAX. Did you get through both QBanks in their entirety, or do you just do parts of the QBanks, or, or what did that look like? So I did my UWorld twice. First time I did it system-wise, it took me around two and a half months to complete the first round systematic UWorld. And the second time I reset my UWorld and I did it on a random mode, and it took me around one and a half months. When I was reading UWorld, I was annotating things on my first aid. So I had a color-coded first aid. I used a lot of sticky notes, and then I color-coded those sticky notes as well as my pens. So there was a yellow note and a black pen for my online UWorld. I really heavily annotated my first aid. I annotated with blue sticky notes and blue pen for Kaplan and Potoma, and then I added another sticky note with my UWorld. So my first aid had kind of doubled up its volume when I was halfway into my prep. Well, that's amazing. So you really kept your first aid as like this central location for all of your material that you were learning everywhere else. So my key strategy from the beginning was to use one book for a complete comprehensive study on each topic. So I just used first aid as a base and not just first aid, but just added and compiled all the information in the beginning only to shed down information towards the end of my exam. So on my third read, I was taking out all those sticky notes, which were already there that I had got it inside my head. So from double its volume, I kind of bring it back to what it was previously because I started shedding down those sticky notes that I had sticked on earlier. And with the Anki, how long did you maintain that? Once you started that, did you continue reviewing Anki cards until your exam? Or did you stop before then? I had to stop before then because I wish I could have, but it was just that I didn't have time. I did prepare my seven, 8,000 cards, but I couldn't do it again completely. I just was able to do some 3,000 cards next time. So I do regret on that but I'm kind of happy however it turned out to be. It sounds like you have a lot of the same strategies that a lot of the people that we interview have employed. So you use a lot of the same resources and use flashcards and question banks like Pathoma. Almost everybody uses Pathoma. So it sounds like you have a very similar approach to step one study as many of the students in the United States have. But that's not to say that your experience was the same. Everybody goes to a different medical school and certain things are emphasized more heavily than other things. And we all at some point need to get on the same page and be tested on the same material. And so I think it's a little bit of an adjustment for everybody, but it just sounds like it was more so for you where you end up having to learn a lot of things for the first time for step one and obviously became very competent in all of these 
other topics. And obviously, you're like, you're an excellent student and know how to grasp all these things. So you, you're able to do that and ultimately have all of that information that you need and move forward and take step one. So at this point, step one's behind you. How did everything turn out? What would you do differently? And what are your overall thoughts about your step one experience? Step one was like an eye-opening journey for me. It really helped me grow as a person and grow as a doctor in the making. And I was really happy that I opted for step one. And I know I did it at a cost of a lot of things, at cost of my social life with my friends and family, because I really had to turn down a lot of gatherings and parties and these festivals but I think it was all worth it at the end. Most importantly, it helped me just go back to my first year and second year courses. And it was like a really, really good revision. And if I have to do it differently, then I wouldn't do Kaplan. And I would have started Anki a bit earlier and had given it more time. And then I wouldn't have heavily annotated my first aid with UWorld, I think I annotated a lot of URL information and a lot of them were not that much needed. So that and well, the good thing that I did was I made a routine for the six phases of my study and I used color-coded annotations and then I used Anki for my spaced repetition. And since I am a very audiovisual learner, and I like figures and charts. I made up a lot of my own illustrations and flowcharts. So those were the plus points. When you did your own diagrams and charts and things like that, did you put those on your own piece of paper and then just stick it in your first aid book? Yes, that's what I did. I, sometimes I used to just stick it on the note because I didn't want it to read what's in there in the first aid. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience with medical school and what that's like in Nepal and your study for step one. That's super fascinating and really fun to hear about. Are there any other gems or anything you want to share with the listener before we let you go? Yes. Well, the most important thing is to enjoy this step one journey and you should really fall in love with the subject and you should really, really give a lot of time and respect to what you're studying. I think it's a beautiful curriculum. And uh, I just hope that I become part of this USMLE and, and the American healthcare system someday. And for my listeners out there, I really would like to advise them to get a good amount of sleep. And just no matter what, you should spend time with your friends and family because that is really important. It kind of energizes you and keeps you really motivated. And you should really plan how you want to study and you should make routines and improvise on them. And you should use a lot of self-assessments. And then you should eat whatever you want. Well, as an Asian, I love my dal pot. That's what we say, which is rice and lentils. And yes, we should also pay a lot of attention into fitness and exercise regularly as well. I think everybody needs a reminder that they need to take care of themselves and their family and enjoy what they're doing. And I really find that fascinating that you emphasize the fact that we should really appreciate and enjoy what we're doing in medical school. And the implication there being that there's a lot of threats to enjoying that. I relate to that. I feel like we get so distracted with a lot of the demands 
that medical school places on us and perhaps fears that are related to that, like fear of failure. Competitiveness is one aspect of it. Personally, I didn't feel competitive against my classmates. It was more of just competitiveness in terms of trying to reach my own goals. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's a fight with our own self. We just want to become a better person every day as a doctor in the making and as a person who we are. Yeah, I think that's well stated. With that in mind, in recognizing the threats to being able to really appreciate what you're doing in medical school, do you have any advice for medical students now, wherever they are, whether in in the United States or Nepal or anywhere in the world, and wherever they are in training, whether it be the preclinical years or their clinical years, do you have any advice on how to help them appreciate what they're experiencing in spite of the fears and stresses that come along with medicine and medical school? Yes, I would like to say two things. One is a lot of people are on the same boat as they are. So it's really good idea to have study partners during these periods. They can be a constant support in terms of reaching your own goals. They can also be a person who would help motivate you more while you motivate them. It's like a positive feedback to have a good study partner. And apart from that, we should always talk to our families and friends when we really feel exhausted and tired. And the other thing is that I think we all should set our own goals. Not everybody would want a 270 or a 260 or a 250. You know, what makes you happy? What is your goal? So we just should define our own goals and work towards that instead of comparing ourselves to another person out there, another test taker. It's a really good point. Not everybody needs to get a really high score on step one in order to experience the career that they want. That really touches on an important aspect of step one, and that's the fact that it's really demanding and it's hard to get a really high score. But it doesn't necessarily determine how good of a doctor you're going to be. I just think it's interesting to reflect on the fact that some people can be excellent physicians and recognize that they don't need to get a really high score and can approach it a little bit differently, like mentally and emotionally. And they still have to work hard because, you know, you have to work so hard just to get a mediocre score or even a bad score. Like to pass takes a lot of work. And so Anybody that passes step one has really proven that they've got what it takes to be a competent physician. And so when you recognize that and you step back and realize that you can become an excellent physician and not get a 270 and not be shooting for a 270, then you can really embrace this idea that you've just introduced that you can really set your own goals and think about your whole career through your lens and not through everyone else's lens and just do it the way that you need and want to do it. Yes, I think you summarized it perfectly. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, I just really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me in your podcast. I really wanted to be a part of this ever. I had been following up on the episodes and thank you for sharing my story. Oh, absolutely. I hope viewers would enjoy hearing me. Oh, I'm sure they will. They'll love it. So thanks and have a good day. Well, it's night here. So good night. (laughs) Well, good night, Rashri. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free step one videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for step one. 
If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.